0: And follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Welcome on the Birds. This is Zach Spens, joined as always by Bob Phil and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we got a lot to get to. With about a month to go until the MLB draft, we will have our first ever mock draft. We're also going to get into the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who've already clinched their playoff spot, or more than twenty games over five hundred. And then we will get into a little bit of some promotions news that dropped today on Monday, June twentieth. Um, but first, I'll introduce. Our guest for tonight's episode, you've heard him before on this show, talking rule five picks, very passionate supporter of the Orioles and of the show, very knowledgeable one as well. He's Vivek Sukla. Vivek, great to have you back.
1: Hey, thank you guys so much. Uh, happy to join. And I know in our group, we've been talking a lot about these draft picks and where the Orioles could go. So uh, no, thank you for letting me be on and uh, discussing a little bit of this.
3: Yeah, hopefully they don't cancel the MLB draft now that we have had you on like they did with the Rule 5 draft. But
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't even know what I'd say.
3: <laughs>
0: well, on that note, we'll jump right into the mock draft, which is not something we have done on this show before. And, Bob, Nick, as far as I know, this will be the only mock draft that we do between now and the draft in mid-July, but we'll see how things go. And... Uh, for that 1-1 one, one pick, which is what I know most of our listeners are waiting for, there actually is a strong consensus here on where we're going, but it's not unanimous. So I'm going to start with a person who had a different pick for 1-1, one, one, and that's Bob.
3: Yeah, I'll start with that. But first of all, the guy that you might think, oh, it's unanimous, it's going to be this guy. Eh, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I went with Tamar Johnson in my personal mock draft just because – I feel like he fits the bill, even though he's a high school player. He's a high hit tool guy, polished hitter. He's got power, something to work with in this player development system. And I feel like, especially now that you see his name dropping down on boards, you're going to be able to get him at that first pick cheaper than a guy like Drew Jones, save some of that money. And I'm assuming that they'll have Jones and Johnson, similar skill sets. I mean, as far as like good players, they think they are. So they'll get the guy. It's comparable, but a cheaper cost. Use that money down the line. And I just think I haven't fallen out of love uh, with Tamar Johnson's bat despite him slipping down boards. And I just don't understand why. Uh, Vivek was talking to us before the show started about his performance at the Combine. And it's like, I'm not surprised this kid is the real deal. So I would be super happy with Tamar Johnson. I'd be super happy with Drew Jones. I'd be happy with the guy that is our consensus pick here. But for me, I went to tomorrow. Johnson. Just think you get that bat in the system. And if he's a second baseman, he's a second baseman. If he's a third baseman, he's a third baseman. It doesn't matter. You get that bat in there, you develop it, and you fit him in where you can.
2: Yeah, I've got – I mean, with Tamar Johnson, if it, the pick is Tamar Johnson, I'll just speak to that and say that I don't care about the position. And I'm glad that I don't see a lot of other people, especially these like big national talking heads, harping on that the fact that he's a second baseman uh it just seems to be like it's his fellow high school teammates are the ones that are ruining this for them exactly. um, so it's I, yeah if the hit tool is as advertised i don't care if he's a second baseman i don't care what position he plays you bring him in the system and i would be fine with that as well i honestly there's one name and we vivek mentioned this before we came on and i agree with uh, if it's jacob barry 1-1 I'm throwing something, Uh, but anyone else, like only because it would make Keith Law right. And I hate that. But uh, anything else, like I don't really see any downsides to any of these guys. I think Michael, when Michael says this is a really tough decision, I do not envy him or anyone else on this final decision panel because there's doesn't seem to be that clear cut bona fide. There's no doubt this is one one. And so when you have more options, definitely makes it a lot harder.
3: And yeah. the Orioles had Tamar Johnson in for a private work at Camden yard. So if they do take him, it's because maybe they saw something there. They're going to have metrics on him and I'm sure they'll have metrics on all these top guys. So whoever they take, they're going to take for a reason.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, when I think of Tamar Johnson, at least I, I, I think you had uh, Ben Badler, I think on, on, on the podcast. And he was talking about, I think the comparisons to, uh, all right, there's Tony Gwynn, there's Wade Box, there's elite hit tool, and at a certain point, it's just like, how, how can you maybe pass that up? Like, worst, what do you put him in? Even in corner left field, or or whatnot? If but if the bat itself is very unique, and if it's one of the best prep bats that we've seen in many many years, it's kind of hard to pass up. I think you also had, I think the guy from uh, Prospects Live talk about how. I don't think Tamar went to a lot of big showcases. And I, in fact, this combine itself was like a great way for everyone to be like, Oh, do you remember Tamar Johnson? I know it's falling down on your boards, but he's legit. Maybe he doesn't attend all these different, you know, uh, events, but I I think, no, he would be a seller pick. I don't know if it would be uh, an underslot, but I think I, I, I would, I would probably project that as being more of an underslot based off of just where the rankings are. And, um, Man, an elite hit tool and power tool and the Orioles development system, incorporating force plates and everything. I, I the the roof, man. Through the roof could potentially, yeah. It's exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah, if the Orioles went under slot with Johnson, I'd be thrilled. I think that he's got the kind of skills you want in someone who's a top pick in the sense that he has that plus tool. He's very safe in a way, but then there's also a little bit of projectability there for him to get better as a hitter. Defensively, I think it's a big question mark, but there are some skills there that stick, but I'm going to go to the consensus one, one here. And I'll let Nick start this one because Vivek, Nick, and I had the same player as the top pick in this draft. And Nick, who is it?
2: Yeah, it's a prep short prep shortstop, uh, Jackson Holiday. Uh, I mean, without having here's my thought process here, without having any access to the data, no firsthand knowledge of these guys or or info about the financial aspect of each player, which is probably the most important factor here. Like this is a a complete guess. But I think that my my heart wants Drew Jones. I want that to be the pick ultimately. But I think when you look at everything and combine all the factors here, I just think it's going to be Jackson holiday. Like you still get good bloodlines. That's something that when I was in preparation for this, so many teams reports are coming out from a lot of teams saying that like, they really want the guys with the bloodlines. You're Justin Crawford, you're you're, uh, Elijah greens. They want one of these guys in their system. Holiday has that bloodlines, the Orioles. There's a lot of connections to that Oklahoma state program as well. Recent connections. So maybe there's like a good relationship with his dad and what his uncle also is on the coaching staff there. So maybe there's that relationship already being built up. Um, I'd also imagine, I don't know for sure, but it would take a lot less money than Drew Jones. So if there's no clear-cut 1-1, like I said earlier, and you have all of these guys and that have a legitimate case to be 1-1 or the top player in this draft, why not save the money and go after Jackson Holiday? Uh, and I think Kylie McDaniel at ESPN even recently said that um, scouts are pretty much coming into agreement here that he's a top 3-4 player in this draft. Uh, and he's been the biggest riser, so I, that's why I like this pick. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, there's just so many factors that go into this decision. I think also, like who they are as a person that we don't know, um, who's who fits that growth mindset uh, mentality that the Orioles are all about. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's it's Jackson Holiday, and so there's a big portion of the fan base that's already tuned out and doesn't want to listen anymore.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another left-handed. Infielder, it's probably gonna stick at shortstop. Kinda of would fit the Orioles bill as well, just because he's super well rounded. He's got a 60 hit tool, 55 power, 60 run, 55 field, 60 arm. So kind of like uh Jordan westberg balked up a little bit, like uh boosted up on on every grade and uh hitting from the left side. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool too.
1: Yeah, I think uh at least with Jackson Holiday, I I and and I've only seen a few videos, you know, by, by no means are we, are we scouts by any, by any means, but I think uh, say hypothetically, right. It's uh one and a half, $2 million savings. And I, I think Elias even said, like he wants to maximize on these first five picks and we've always seen different prep arms or prep bets drop in the draft. And I don't know if we would go college heavy in one direction or high school heavy, but, 1.5 million, two million is a lot to potentially be able to play around with. Uh, with Jackson Holiday, like, right, starting off with someone who could potentially work at shortstop, you can maybe slot him over to second base, third base. Um, his rise right now kind of reminds me of Marcelo Mayer when last year we were all maybe it's Jordan Lawler or thinking of um, potentially even Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter at that time when all these are rising, and I think. Uh, yeah, Jackson Holiday definitely uh, from the underslot perspective. I also wanted to like mentally, I guess, prepare myself that I, I I've done this two drafts where 2020 you went, I kind of went in with the thought of Austin Martin, and it couldn't be anyone else. And then 2021, I loved Khalil Watson jumping in, or potentially Jordan Lawler. But I think at least at least at this pace, I've been trying to not commit myself to one person. So. Jackson Holiday, at least right now, is showing five tools that are above average to plus. And that's something you can really work with there. So um, premium position, shortstop. I'm curious to see if he gets in a workout or already has worked out with the Orioles. But Drew Jones would also be a great pick, and I think everyone would be there. But I'm also thinking of the possibility of if Elias really wants to maximize these five picks, um, we, could see this, we could see this strategy again.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with I think that holiday just has the across you know, the above average tools across the board. And I think the Orioles like that middle infield high school profile. You add in a left-handed bat that projects for a little bit of power. And I think that holiday is my sense is just that we're holiday is where they're leaning. I could be completely off about this, and there could be a lot of overthinking as far as the draft goes in Drew Jones, but I would not be shocked. If holiday is called one one. And honestly, I don't think that if holiday is drafted, it's going to be that far under slot, because I think with the way that his draft stock has risen in the last few months, there's not that much leverage there. There are a lot of players further down this board that we're going to mention tonight that you could definitely get for, you know, considerable under slot value. And I don't think holiday is that at this point, it's just that he's not maybe going to command the top bonus. But then you're going to have you know, the above-average tools across the board. Plus, let's look at who the Orioles are having success with right now. Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo, high school infielders who hit for power, that play on the left side of the infield. And unlike a lot of high school shortstops, most reports suggest that Jackson Holiday can stick at the position. And I think that's going to factor heavily into the Orioles' pick here. And Drew Jones can stick in center field, but – I don't know. I I feel like if the Orioles were all in on Drew Jones, every mock draft right now would reflect that. We're a month out. Things might change in the next few weeks, but I feel like the mock drafts would reflect that the Orioles are all in on Drew Jones. And right now they don't.
3: That's a great point, Zach. And you know, it's it is true that Michael Eyes and Company, they keep a tight ship. You know, there's not many leaks getting out of that front office. And you know, it's pretty exciting. I feel like you know, it was between Bobby White and Adley the last time we had one one, but I feel like we all had an idea that it was gonna be Adley once the time came. Right now, we're sitting with the first pick of the draft. We have no clue what is gonna happen. It's gonna be crazy exciting once uh Sunday, July 17th rolls around and we're on the clock. The nerves are gonna be everywhere. But uh yeah, I mean, it could be Elijah Green, you know, he's got the most potential upside of all this group. It could be Brooks Lee you know he's a polished college shortstop as well and and obviously we've we've liked college guys in the last couple years so yeah it's going to be interesting for sure.
1: I felt like those five to six guys that uh, Elias is talking about I think I saw an Andy Koska's article about Elias even said like yeah this is going to be a lively debate and discussion so the group that he's working with for this pick it's I'm sure these five, six people that we're even identifying have a great case to be number one. And I think one of the things the Orioles fans should take away is like, maybe don't fixate into your mind that it has to, and only will be drew Jones. And that's your only possible pick. Like there, and (laughs) I'm saying this to Orioles Twitter as well, I guess in a way (laughs) where, where there's so much that could happen and uh, every team evaluates different tools or values them differently. So there's really a good five six bunch here. Um, outside uh, what Nick had mentioned, with maybe <laughs> our personal distaste, but I I think um, yeah, I don't envy Elias. This would this would be a very very hard decision to make.
2: Yeah, like I'm I'm fine if it's Tamar Johnson. I'm fine if it's Jackson Holiday. I deep down I am. A, there's still a small part of me that isn't that I am kind of fixated on Drew Jones. Cause I think that would be just absolutely amazing. Uh, but at the same time, like you, the more you read about Jackson holiday and it's like, everything is there, all the tools are there and the growth in such a short time span that he's exhibited along the way as well. Um, you, you can't dislike that. Uh, so yeah, I'm fine with either if it's either of these guys. Uh, and like I said, I just think that the separating factor if the talent level is based on the Orioles model and all of their data and all their numbers and all their workouts, if the talent level is fairly similar, and the money is big enough, money difference is big enough, then I, you're good. They're going to cut a deal and they're going to go after some of these guys. Um, I've got one in my mock draft. This is why I went Jackson Holiday because I identified a guy later in the draft that I think the Orioles could go after. Uh, so you know, and you get more studs into the system. It's not a bad route to get two studs, possibly landing i'll save that for later i don't want to spoil anything but
3: it's worth noting also that the orioles seem to really value character a lot clubhouse chemistry i think we've seen that as well uh as the minor leagues come up seems like these guys are all good guys to get along they're competitive but not i don't know selfish in too much of a way so that's another factor and what else was i going to say Shoot.
0: Well, Bob, <laughs> to your point, remember when Brad Selick was on the show, he said the one reason he does not want a player to play or did not make the major leagues is because of makeup. So I think you hit the nail on the head there.
3: Yeah, that's true. And I, I remember what I was going to say. I was going to say that uh, the only good thing about having 1-1 right here with the team playing better, having the best farm system in baseball, all these exciting prospects all the, all the way at the major major leagues are close to it with Gunnar Henderson. It's kind of like the cherry on top, this 1-1 pick here. I feel like before you know we turn this corner – hopefully this off season coming up. So maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off. It's not like, Hey, this is the guy that we're centering our rebuild on. And it all comes down to this. It's, it's just like, here's one more special player for the system to put into it. Yeah.
2: We were talking about it before the show. Uh, if this one, one is a bust uh, for a couple months into next season and things aren't going very well. And there are serious questions and doubts. Just, just watch Gunnar Henderson highlights and you'll you'll be all right. We'll all be good. <laughs> Well, I think with that, other.
0: I'll turn it now to the second through five picks in this draft. Now, we have a consensus number two in the draft. But beyond that, it gets a little bit interesting. And I'll um, let Vivek start here with his players two through five. So that's going to be the Arizona Diamondbacks second, Texas Rangers third, Pittsburgh Pirates third, Washington Nassau's fourth. And or no, sorry. that's a Pittsburgh Pirates fourth and Washington Nationals
1: fifth. Sure. So yeah, I, I guess jumping into it, I at least from this uh, consensus, I'm I, something we saw with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and maybe this is something I, I chose just from the pick of Jordan Lawler. There was about a two million slot difference between getting um, Colton Cowser versus Jordan Lawler. I think Jordan Lawler actually went for seven million. So they had to pull from other different pick money. So I I, I I imagine a scenario here, and Arizona's got great prospects. You know, Alec Thomas, uh, Corbin Carroll is also another good one. But still, you could still supplement it. It's all based off getting the best pick in value. I think they would take Drew Jones. From there, I went with Texas Rangers. And Texas has, you know, they went with Jack Leiter last draft. And at least right now, I think... If they want someone who could relatively move quickly, really good hit tool, maybe someone even also in a leadoff position to maybe supplement in the future. You have Corey Seager for a while. You have Marcus Simeon for a while. I like Brooks Lee value here. I think there's a part of me that was thinking Jace Jung just because of the brother being in the system. But I think I think I was like, okay, maybe I'll I'll go with with Brooks Lee here. Pittsburgh Pirates. I think, <laughs> truthfully, if, if the if Pittsburgh got Tamar Johnson here at four, that would be that'd be great for their system. Like man, Nick Gonzalez, Tamar Johnson, O'Neill Cruz, Yavar Peguro, So that, that'd be great. And then rounding off at five, I know they have Kybert Ruiz, but also it's uh, right. You still continue to build value no matter what. Uh, I like Kevin Pareda a lot. If we didn't have the number one pick, and even though he's a catcher, man, I think he hit over twenty six plus home runs this year. Amazing, Mm three hundred to four hundred batting average, just in between there. And I, I, yeah, I mean Georgia Tech is really good with you know developing and sending over these catchers. So yeah, I went with Parada at five. So um, Drew Jones, Diamondbacks, Brooks Lee, Rangers, Tamar Johnson, Pirates, Kevin Parada, Parada, um, Nationals.
2: I like it. I can go with mine. I had some of the similar thought processes, but different players in some of these spots. Um, Diamondbacks, it's obvious Drew Jones. Yeah, I think Zach mentioned we all have Drew Jones here. Um, They want one of these two guys. They want Holiday or they want Jones, apparently. Um, And so I'd be shocked if it's Elijah Green, uh, especially if Drew Jones is falling to number two. Um, Texas Rangers, I went the same thing. I thought you go Jack Leiter last year and start him off at, what, double A? to make his pro debut, which is absurd. Um, they spent all that money that we talked about in the preseason, all the big free agents they brought in, and the baseball world says, what are you guys even doing right now? You're not ready to compete. Uh, so I went the college route as well, but I'm going Kevin Parada at number three just because, like Vivek mentioned, like I love the hit tool as well. Um, I think Prospects Live had a note that I was reading that says, this is a potential 290 hitter who hits 40-plus home runs in the middle of a major league lineup for years to come um so i think this is a guy who isn't in the minor leagues for very long and i, I am in the same boat like if i know the orioles have the one one pick but and i know orioles fans would like burn the warehouse down and personally move the orioles to nashville if the pick is parada but the guy can hit um it's not gonna become a parada though everybody calm down i got him going to texas uh pirates i went brooks lee the Pirates fans and Orioles fans are so similar in how they view their organizations. And I think Ben Charrington and how Michael class are attacking their rebuilds are pretty similar. So I went the college bat who can progress pretty quickly and possibly save them a little bit of money here. Not totally sure there, but sounds like they probably could. And then the nationals I went, uh, basically how my board was falling. Um, you know, I think a Brady house Tamar Johnson combo in the system would be pretty insane, but I went with Elijah Green. He's the highest upside left. You get a 1-1 candidate with the fifth pick, and um, there you go. Nationals get a pretty good prospect. They need some more studs in that system, and Elijah Green is certainly going to be one, I think.
3: Yeah, that's some good thought process there. I was along similar lines. Drew Jones obviously going to the Arizona Diamondbacks if the Orioles Orioles don't take him. I think it's a great fit for their system as well. Just imagine defensively and offensively an outfield of Corbin Carroll, Jew Jones, and Alec Thomas. That's pretty great with Jordan Lawler at shortstop. So I'm a little jealous of, of that situation that they would have right there. Uh, Texas Rangers, I went with Jackson Holiday just because he's rising up boards, and at least in my mock, he was still available. So it seemed like a good fit for them. Pittsburgh Pirates, like you said, they're kind of – in a similar boat i feel like they're the national league version of the orioles right now and i have them taking cam collier who is very young right he's like a high school junior basically and he's graduating here i feel like he's rising up lists, and the pirates seem to be doing really well with young talent like internationally and high school picks they took um james wood last year i think they're doing a really good job, so I just think that is a a high upside pick they could have. And then Washington Nationals, I have taken Brooks Lee. I feel like it's kind of like the Nationals, they feel like a safe organization to me when it comes to drafting, and I think Brooks Lee is probably as safe as it gets with what's available at that point.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see the way things unfolded here. We obviously reeled Drew Jones, number two, the D-backs. I think that that's their preferred target. And if the Orioles do pass on him, which seems to be the consensus on this show, that's where they're going to go. And I'll admit for me, the hardest pick was the Rangers, because I thought that I thought about Kevin Parada for a little bit, because I thought they're a team that they spent a lot of money. They might want the player that's a little bit closer to the major leagues, but I think they go as that loud tool with Eliza Green, which is a power. And the fact is that Green I think has actually improved his case for the first overall pick in this draft in recent months. Um, I have him go into Texas. And then right after that, Brooks Lee, the pirates, I think the pirates did a really good job in the last draft of balancing the players who could get to the major leagues quickly versus building the farm system overall, which they needed to do. And I think Brooks Lee, you know, could help them contend a little bit faster and make them better off long term and then number five i have the nationals taking Tamara johnson and i was torn again between Tamara johnson and kevin parada for that pick but the reason i went with johnson is that the nationals number one like that one loud tool and last year at brady house it was a power if they really buy into tomorrow johnson's hit tool they'll take it here and they tend to take players who are going against the industry grain at that time. So it could be a player who's gotten hurt or in this case, a player whose stock has fallen a little bit through, honestly, no fault of his own for the most part, based on what we're hearing in Johnson and feel like they can put him in their farm system and he'll balance it out where this is a farm system. that doesn't have a whole lot right now, but he will give them a really good prospect who has, pretty high floor a high enough ceiling, but then if they're satisfied with him as a second baseman, might move quickly. So I think that kind of satisfies their checklist in a lot of respects. So I, I was torn between Johnson and Parada to the Nationals, but I went with Johnson in this case.
3: Just consensus-wise, obviously we have Jones going to the Diamondbacks and Lee going to the Pirates at four. It looks like maybe we should do Parada to the Rangers at three and Tamar Johnson at five. To the Nationals? Yeah, oh, That sounds good. For sure. Yeah.
1: I'm a bit envious of the yeah. the Nationals now, at least with Brady House and <laughs> yeah, Johnson. Yeah,
0: I like Brady House I mean, a
3: lot too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that could be an interesting lineup in a few years. If they keep Juan Soto with some you know, that's another subject for another day, but if they keep yeah. Juan Soto and they have Brady House and Trebarn Johnson in another four or five years, that's gonna be a really dangerous lineup. Yeah. Plus, Nelson Cruz is still good for thirty-five home runs at that age, right?
2: There you go. <laughs> for sure, pretty much. I'm looking at the Pirates, though. I just I think the Pirates are doing everything exactly right, and um, yep. Pirates fans have a lot to be uh, a lot to love in that system, and they're going to be a dangerous team as well. I think Pirates Pirates Orioles World Series coming up in a couple of years. Good, the rematch. Great. Yeah. Well,
0: Nick, I know for a fact we actually have some Pirates fans who listen to this show, so. so.
2: They'll probably be happy with that. I'm no doubt for whatever reason. I think I've said before, like I have so many podcasts in my rotation, and a lot, most of them are baseball podcasts. I legit have like three different pirates podcasts in my rotation that I listen to on and off again. Uh, And I just I love pirates fans. They are they are heated. They are um, pirates Twitter, Orioles Twitter, same exact thing. We we have allies uh, in this fight against our major league club and what's going on right now. Just don't yeah. get
0: into Raven Steelers <laughs> right now, because that's going to be what like sets the whole thing off.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can won't. respect
3: the Pirates, can't respect the Steelers. Uh, at least Orioles fans should, should feel pretty confident about the ability to spend money moving forward, at least when compared to the Pirates, because uh, they're a little hopeless in that regard. Yeah, true. We'll yeah, move on we
0: now to picks six through ten, which will be the Miami Marlins, the Chicago Cubs, Minnesota Twins, Kansas City Royals, and Bob, Nick, and I's favorite organization, the Colorado Rockies. Um, So I'll start with uh, Nick here on this six through 10. Um, This is kind of, and again, a little bit of a split between the four of us.
2: Yeah, so at one six with the Marlins, I've got, it's finally Tamar Johnson time. I think these two pieces fit perfectly. uh, And I, I really do honestly love Tamar Johnson, which is why I want him to fall. If he doesn't go to Baltimore, I don't want him to be a national. I don't want him to be a pirate. I want him to go to the Marlins because I started really getting into this draft like three or so years ago, and the Marlins grab every single prospect that I fall in love with. Uh, and so I love this Marlins system as well. So why not take Tamar Johnson? I think just his personality-wise, it fits. Tamar, Jazz Chisholm, well, apparently there's some issues with Jazz Chisholm in Miami. I don't know what that's all about, but um, – I think the Marlins take him here, and it fits like a glove. Uh, Phenomenal talent at one six. The Cubs, I went with Cam Collier. Um, I think there are a lot of connections. What I was reading, there are a lot of the Cubs really like this kid. We'll see how high he rises. He's like seventeen still. He's playing on the Cape before the combine. Uh, I think he was at the combine, but I know he's in the Cape Cod League already playing. And apparently, he's off to a good start there as a seventeen-year-old kid. So Cubs, good, pretty good third base first base I don't think it really matters if the bat plays as well as that does twins this is where I would have wanted to put chase De Lauder, but I think just I know a lot of scouts had issues with the way he played against Florida State at the beginning of the year and then he breaks his foot halfway through the year so I think he does fall a little bit um this is the first time where I kind of got stumped so I just went with Virginia Tech outfielder Gavin Cross just seems like a really safe pick here um you know, the, I don't see the Twins reaching for a pitcher yet, so cross, high-level performer, Team USA guy. Uh, I think he gets drafted pretty early. I hate saying that as a JMU alum, rooting for a tech guy there. But um, the Royals, I can see the Royals getting weird here uh, and thinking like Dylan Lesko maybe. Uh, but at this point, I think they go Jacob Jacob Berry at, with the ninth pick. Even with the defensive limitations, like if the bat is that high-regarded and can carry him through the system, you got a pretty good value here. Uh, power hitter who can hit 270, 280 uh, every year in the major leagues at one You take it. And, yes, our favorite organization, and I even made a note about this Orioles-Rockies connection here. Uh, i got him taking Justin Crawford, son of Carl Crawford. Um, you know, I think, do you go with Jace Jung? I think I haven't pretty fallen pretty far here, but I'm with the uber-athletic, toolsy, Plays runs just like his dad. Apparently, you get the sense that at his peak, based on every report I read about Justin Crawford, at his peak, it looks like he could put up very similar numbers to his dad, who was what a four or five time All Star. So, not a bad deal. But you got Zach Veen, Benny Montgomery, Brenton Doyle, Justin Crawford in the system now. It's a great group of outfield prospects. If the Orioles want to trade like Logan Gillespie and Jacob Nottingham for one of those guys later this summer, Robin Blind again. 100%. I love it, Nick. The Rockies. <laughs> All right.
1: So, Vivek, any thoughts here? Oh yes, yeah. I like that. Um, what's it called? I am with you with respect to the Cam Collier prediction. Like, I feel like that's a good pick for uh, for seven. Going back to at least before that, the sixth pick for the Marlins. For some reason, I, I at least I've been I've been following a lot of Marlins games this year, and I think it's probably because you know they use four or five of our former relievers just to see in the in, in whatnot, but. I'm slowly seeing a little bit of an inability, and right. This is a this is a big statement to make, maybe on the org, but at the same time, JJ Blade, the fourth pick overall, had two years of struggling before like finally being able to develop that hit tool. But we still haven't been able to call him up into the majors. There was a Cameron Misner that got traded. There's Khalil Watson, and no disrespect to Khalil Watson because I think he'll break out of it, but I I don't know if you guys have seen it's over now a 40% strikeout rate. So to a certain extent, I'm thinking maybe they're looking for a really well-college-developed bet. Similar to J.J. Blade. he's playing much better this year. That could be able to help and impact the system because they are phenomenal at developing arms. Like, But I don't think at the sixth pick they would go an arm just because we've also seen the talent level of the arms this year, which I kind of feel like is going to be more between 10 and 30. So for me, I went with Jace Jung. Um, I think that's a safe uh 55 hit or 60 tool 55 hit 60 power you can try to find some room around sec- second base third base maybe but i think his bet will play and he's a fast riser in the system cam collier with the cubs i <laughs> purposely did this because i would love to see elijah green as a succession plan for byron buxton i think that would be really really cool for twins fans i i I mean, what better person to get, like, tutelage under or in the system? So if Elijah Green dropped to eighth, hypothetically, I think, man, under Byron Buxton, optimizing that power, that's a good that's a good pick for them. The Royals, uh, for me, I always think of arms when it comes to them, and even especially in that series where I think it's the 2017 or 18 draft where they just went ham with all of the arms, and then – even last year, they kind of surprised us with Frank Mazzucato, who was like through four straight no-hitters last year, which is great. But he was projected in the 2030 round, throwing 2030 pick. So um, I'm always thinking arm, and I think right now because of Leshko, um, I think Brock Porter has made his case for the second-best prep arm uh, right now, if not the best prep arm. So Brock Porter with them, I think they'll go arm. And then last one. I think the value of a Jacob Berry at number 10 for Colorado, I think it'd be nice in their system. Um, So at that point, that bet could really give you 30 home run power at Coors Field. So kind of hard to pass up. But yeah, I'm in agreement with with, uh, Cam Collier. I think a lot of us liked him there for the Cubs.
3: Yeah, if I didn't have him all the way up at four for the Pirates, I probably would have put him there as well. But I have Eliza Green going to the Marlins. I just love the idea of Khalil Watson and Eliza Green in the same minor league system. That seems like a great time with a tremendous amount of upside to go along with Jazz Chisholm. That's just going to be a fun team. For some reason, I like the Marlins as well, even though they haven't really been uh, good despite rebuilding for quite a while here. I had the Cubs taking Kevin Parada, I guess just switching out the Collier for Parada there. Just a, a polished catcher. Seemed like maybe it could be Wilson Contreras replacement at one point. I have Jace Young going to the Twins, just a best player available type of pick. Same with the Royals. I have Brock Porter as well. I, I think of arms when I think of them. Mazzucato, like you said, last season. And it it just it doesn't seem to matter how many pitchers they draft. Uh, they've never seemed to develop one into an ace since uh, Zach Greinke. but keep trying. And then Colorado Rockies, I have them taking Gavin Cross, but I also like the Jacob Perry pick as well. He could just sit there at first base, DH, and mash bombs at that high altitude all day long.
0: Yeah, the Marlins were kind of the first domino to fall for me here because I was like, I could have gone a couple of different directions to them. In the end, I went with Kevin Parada. I feel like the Marlins have sort of stepped into the toe trying to win now, and Parada could help that goal a little bit, but at the same time, just be a good pick for them at six overall. So I like that Cam Collier. 7th to the Cubs uh, for a lot of the reasons that Nick and Vivek mentioned. I think that's a great pick. I went with Gavin Cross, 8th overall to the Twins. I think the Twins were going to go for that college outfielder, They think, that has a little bit of projection with the bat. Justin Crawford, number 9 to the Royals. And the Royals are one of those teams that I felt like they could have gone a couple of different directions with. But I feel like the Royals like the young, athletic, kind of projectable guys that they feel like they can work with and develop. And – they're kind of a patient organization. So Crawford takes, you know, a couple of years to really hit his feet and, you know, hit his stride. I think they're going to be okay with that. And then with the Rockies, I went with Jacob Barry. I mean, I would not be happy if the Orioles drafted Jacob Barry 1-1. But if the Orioles were picking seventh or eighth in this draft and Barry fell to them and they wanted to take him, great. Um the Rockies will know what they're doing with Jacob Berry. It's stick him at first base, uh, put him in low A or high A right away, and let him start hitting. He'll get to Horace field in a few years, and he'll hit a lot of home runs. I think that's really what they're looking for, and Berry is exactly the kind of player that can do that. I think he's a really good value at number 10. So I have him going right there in the Rockies, the 10th overall pick in the draft. So we'll go, uh, Bob has actually been keeping track of the consensus here. And what is the update 6 through 10?
3: Yeah, I had to put Elijah Green at 6 um, for the Marlins as the consensus, even though there was only one of us ahead. had him, just based on future consensus, more consensus picks, and the fact that Elijah Green really can't slip much past the top 5 or 10 or so. I have Collier going to the Cubs, obviously three, out, three of us. Had him going there. I have Gavin Cross going to the Twins as Nick and Zach both had him there. Porter to the Royals as me and Vivek had him going to the Kansas City Farm team. And Jacob Berry to the Colorado Rockies. It's too good to be true.
0: All right. So we're going to go with 11 through 15 where we have one organization picking twice. New York Mets, number 11. Detroit Tigers, 12th. The Los Angeles Angels, 13th. The New York Mets, 14th. And then the San Diego Padres, 15th. And it feels like within the span, you have a couple of organizations that could theoretically go the safe route or could go the high-risk, high-reward route based off of some of the decisions they've made in the past and or their bonus pool. So this is really an interesting part of the draft. And I'll start with Bob to uh, give his mock for the 11th through 15th.
3: I think the Mets are going to make a big splash here and go for this Kumar Rocker fellow. <laughs> um, I think that bridge has been burned pretty significantly. I had him taking Jacob Berry. Um, they just seem like a team with the owner that they have, that they want a big name, a big splash, get some media attention. So I had Jacob Berry going there. I had Daniel Susak catcher going to the tigers and, um, I didn't know what to do with the Tigers, to be completely honest with you, but I, I went with Susek there. I actually have Rocker going to the to the Angels. Um, what do they take, 21, 20 or 21 pitchers in last year's draft? It seems like they're like, we need pitching. We're going to do whatever it takes to uh, make it happen, and maybe taking a guy like Kumar Rocker is – I just felt like that was something they might do that could uh, they could try to rocket him through the minor leagues and, and help the rotation, see how that works out for them. I have Chase DeLauder going – to the Mets with their second pick, um, I think it's a good fit. I think DeLauder is going to be a great value pick wherever he goes because he's a great player that you know was hurt by the injury and the slow start to the season. And I have Cole Young going to the Padres, a high school shortstop. Uh, just seems like you know the Padres do well, just kind of like I was saying the Pirates do with younger talent like uh, Robert Hassel, and I just think it's a good fit for them. So I went with Cole
2: Young. I like some of those picks. Uh, where Matt here. I, with the Mets, I have, t- I think two of them are the same here. Mets first pick at 11. Yeah, I went risky with the first pick here. Uh, you stole my Kamar Rocker joke. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's low-hanging fruit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I went with Brock Porter, uh, the high school pitcher there, to the Mets. Why not? Try again with the pitcher, right? When you got a fastball that reaches, what, 100 miles an hour, and some of his makeup is just fantastic. I don't think it'd be Dylan Lesko yet. I have him a little bit later, but you know, considering the rocker fiasco last year, I'd go with the healthy, the healthy guy in Brock Porter. Um, uh, Tigers. I have Jace Young just because at this point, like you can't let him fall anymore, and that's fantastic value there for the Tigers. Hopefully, you can pair him up there with uh, Spencer Torkelson in two years or so, maybe a little less. Um, but yeah, if you can get a guy who's had what three straight years of an OPS over a thousand at LSU. He's a good player. I think it's just some of the or Texas Tech, sorry. Um, I just think it's some of the, the defensive concerns with Jace Young, maybe. So good pick for the Tigers there. Angels also went with Kumar Rocker. Like it's it all comes down to the medicals. Like no one knows what the Mets saw. Uh, so it's I feel like everybody is just a complete guess at this point. Um, he looks good in indie ball. That's that's about it. Um, yeah, I don't think the angels angels make a big splash here with rocker, and like Bob mentioned, they went all pitchers last draft. And yet they still have like no pitchers in the system. So they need they need a big arm who can come up pretty quickly. And the Mets, I also have Chase DeLauder with their second pick at 14th overall. Like you look at him and you say he's not a center fielder, but the kid can fly. I think the swing is pretty polarizing, but he led the Cape Cod in home runs. The freshman year was taken away by covid uh 2021 was also taken away by COVID. jmu only played like 20 something games because COVID destroyed their season for a second straight year then he breaks his foot uh so the kid did not get to play at all at jmu which as someone who doesn't miss a JMU baseball game and the hi- most highly rated prospect to ever come through this uh program doesn't get to play it it kind of sucks um but yeah good bet there safe bet there for the mets Uh, And then 15, I have Dylan Lesko. The Padres are not afraid to take risks, so why not go with Lesko? Uh, I think it's a good fit for the Padres. I don't think it's a good fit for Lesko, though, because the Padres are kind of a disaster when it comes to injuries, especially pitching injuries. Um, But yeah, an explosive pitcher uh, that I think without Tommy John probably could have been in that conversation at the Orioles at 1-1. So Padres get a pretty good pick there in Lesko and uh, wish him all the best of luck out there. I know I can I can jump into it. I think um, yeah for
1: eleven I you know you're kind of convincing me a bit, Nick, for the Dylan Leshko pick in terms of right looking at the uh, medicals part of it. For this one the, I put eleven uh, for the New York Mets to go with Dylan Leshko. In fact, just because uh, I remember a draft where uh, two or three years ago where the Mets literally threw so much money at their first three four picks that rounds like five or six to like 10 ended up being senior signs for very low minimums. And that was because they signed, um, they got Matthew Allen, Matthew Allen and Pete Crow Armstrong and all these like prep guys. And I could see a similar system where, right. They've already got, again, a a very strong farm system. The Mets for as much as the Mets have traded away, I'm still kind of amazed. Like they have a great farm system. And I think to reload that, Leshka would be a good pick there um, in terms of just the potential. Number 12, I think there have been a few outfielders that, at least in the system for Detroit, that they need to at least develop or at least bring up, and I think the system could use a boost with Gavin Cross, steady bat there. You guys are probably laughing at my 13th pick when I said left-handed pitcher. I really couldn't decide. I, I think they'll go arm as well, and I think Gabriel Hughes would be a great pick there. In terms of right handed pitcher, their second pick, Kai Bush, comes from the same conference, WCC. So they've seen him before. But I went with left handed pitcher here because I think this draft underrated has like really high velocity left handed arms like Jackson Ferris, Brandon Berea, and even uh, I think it's Robbie Snelling that's also um, a, a six foot nine from the left side. So I'm actually going to go with. A prep arm. I'm going to go with Jackson Ferris at 13. Um, 14. I think the Mets would, this would be kind of be their polarizing pick in a way, again, with Justin Crawford. Um, Carl Crawford lineage a little bit. So I think that'd be a nice fit there. So two Leshko and Crawford as two preps in their system. I think that would be really nice. And then 15. I'm actually a little bit convinced now. I'm going to go more with the prep shortstop here and uh, Cole Young. And the reason I, I, I don't know if, Bob, this was also the thinking as well, but uh, last year I think they got James Wood and Jackson Merrill. These prep, prep uh, they, they got a lot of prep intriguing uh, uh, positional players into their system, and I, I kind of felt like, you know what, even though they don't necessarily need this, this could be another maybe trade chip down the way, and I think Cole Young is a really good value at 15 as well. So uh, that's how I'm feeling for the Padres. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I will correct this now. I said James Wood went to the Pirates. I was thinking of Lonnie White Jr. Apologies. High school outfielder. So don't email the show. No,
2: <laughs> I like those Padre stuff. AJ Preller loves rephrase that because in my head because that could get weird. Uh, AJ Preller loves really young talent. Talented baseball players. We'll say that. Um, so <laughs> high school picks and young international players. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think we all pretty much nailed it there with the, yeah. the high school picture of the Padres. Yeah.
0: So I went, with a uh, went in a different direction, a few picks here. I have Jace Young going to the Mets at number 11. Young's stock has dropped a little bit since the spring. Remember at one point he was the talk of being the underslot college bat, 1-1 for the Orioles. And he's completely dropped out of that conversation. But maybe the Mets grab him there. And then number 12, I have Zach Nieto to the Tigers. Uh, Nieto is shortstop at Campbell. I know Vivek is a fan. Uh, It sort of feels like it fits the criteria for the Tigers a little bit. Um, And then it's a guy who could get to the major leagues quickly, high floor, but would fill an area of need for them potentially. I, I think he's really risen his stock and definitely earned his way into that top 15, top 20 conversation this year. So I would not be shocked to see Nieto there. The Angels, I agree they're going to draft a pitcher with this pick. And I went back and forth between Rocker and a few other names. I ended up with Gabriel Hughes. I just feel like he fits the Angels mold of college pitcher who has sort of a safe profile and could move quickly. So I have him going 13th over all the Angels. Dylan, let's go to the Mets at 14th. And, you know, after the Kumar Rocker thing last year where they didn't like something on his medicals, I thought the Mets might go safer, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what, this is the ultimate Mets pick. This could potentially be the best pitcher in the draft. There's a lot of risk attached to him. But if they can get young at slot or slightly under slot, and they got some money to work with, they got a big bonus pool to work with in this draft as it is, they'll be able to get Lesko 14th overall. And I think they signed him. And then 15th, I agree the Padres are going to take a pitcher. I agree it's going to be risky, but I'm going to kind of pre here. Prelip was a possible 1-1 up until he had Tommy John surgery last year. He reportedly threw in San Diego during the combine. And not that I think the Padres are looking right, you know, outside their front office window onto the field <laughs> makes a decision. But I think if you want to go with a player that has a considerable amount of upside, but it might have dropped a little bit because of injury, Prelip certainly fits that bill. So I had the Padres taking him 15th overall. And, Bob, where are we now in the consensus?
3: Yeah, I think I think we're pretty locked in. I gave the Mets – who was it? Gosh, Josh Young – or Jace Young God, got his brother back in the draft. Um, just because he wasn't going to show up anywhere else, we had some more consensus down the line. And I do think he's a top 15 type talent. So, Zach, Zach you had him going there. I gave it to him. And the Tigers I have getting Zach Neto. I have the Angels getting Kumar Rocker, the Mets getting Chase DeLauder with their second pick, and the Padres getting Cole Young at 15.
1: I like that uh, Zach Neto uh, pick for 12. I mean, uh, I think you guys remember I mentioned it like earlier, like this is someone I wanted to follow and see. Maybe the Orioles can get in the second pick, like 33. And yeah, it just doesn't seem like we'll do there. Yeah, I mean, he, he really rose. and. I mean, you need someone there to replace Javier Baez succession plan, right, at some point. So.
0: Yep, Neto. And we just got a question here. If Orioles maybe look Landon Sims at 33, and I think this is a great time to transition to yeah. the next phase of our mock draft, which yeah. is the Orioles picks 33, 42, 67, and 81. As a reminder, the 67's pick was acquired as part of the Cole Saucer-Tanner Scott trade. Uh, prior to the season, the Orioles have the largest bonus pool in the twenty twenty two draft. So, with the consensus here being that the Orioles will take Jackson Holiday one one overall. Although Bob has them going to Martin Johnson, so he might play this out a little bit differently for the rest of the picks.
3: The Orioles have a lot of
0: talent and money to spend with these next four picks, and I will start back with Bob for his thirty third pick in the draft yeah. and his second pick overall from the Orioles.
3: Absolutely. Uh, the Orioles don't take high school talent, and they don't take pitchers early in the draft. Well, I have, We all have them taking high school short uh, infielder with the first pick, and I have them taking pitching in the second pick that they have in this draft as well as the third. I'll get to that. Justin Campbell, who I think is another guy that uh, Vivek is a fan of. He's a right-handed pitcher with some pretty good stuff. Um, I just think if you can get a guy like that in that position, you take it, and I think he fits the – the way that the Orioles are, are going here, he, he's got good control, he's got a great changeup, plus changeup. He's got average fastball and slider and an above average curveball according to baseball America. So get this guy in the system, get him moving up the ladder. And <laughs> the cupboard may not be bare, but you still want to restock the cupboard as you break a few dishes, i.e. they get to the major leagues and, and graduate from your list. Don't uh, hate that at all. You go like ahead, that, it. yeah.
1: I like yeah, I like that Justin Campbell pick. I, I guess I, I know I brought him up a few times in the group chat, but I guess the thing that stuck out was when I was reading through the profile, this guy was actually drafted, um, I think, in 2019 by Houston Astros. And, like, in the 19th round is potentially coming out of, of, of uh, high school. Um, and I think when I was reading the profile, I was like, okay, what are these characteristics, right? And so it's, like, very high spin rates on, on, on his stuff. The Orioles really love tall pitchers and high vertical arm slots. And when I thought Justin Campbell, I was like, okay, this if we – if he drops because I know and sometimes he gets mocked in the 20 to 30 round if he were to fall to that 33rd pick then I think this is definitely someone you can work with he's top 10 in the NCAA and strikeouts as well um yeah J- Justin Campbell is one I'm I'm <laughs> will slowly be monitoring after our pick
2: like is it coming is it coming so
1: yeah I, I think it'd be a, he'd be a good boost
2: in our system yeah definitely like that um the hardest part, once we get, once we got to this point, the hardest part is like, where do these guys go? I looked at probably fifteen different mock drafts and like forty different lists uh, that I could find, and trying to combine all of this in my head, um, which was a lot of work. Uh, but this was a lot of fun to try to think of these more tougher picks later in the draft. But at thirty three, if he's here, this is one of my new favorite players in this draft class. Uh, And I don't know if he's going to fall this far, but I'm going to go with Coastal Carolina shortstop Eric Brown. If he's available, like you go with, look at some of the bats the Orioles have taken very early on, like Hudson Haskin and Reed Trimble. uh, And I think Brown kind of fits that mold, like a funky swing. It's really like mesmerizing. I think I saw a Craig Council comp uh, on that swing. Uh, it's weird. I don't know how he demolishes the baseball like he does with that swing, but it works. Uh, and I found these numbers actually from uh, Mason McCray. If you guys follow him on Twitter, if you don't, if you like draft content at Mason underscore McCray. Give him a follow. Uh, he put up some numbers a couple weeks ago. I think that Brown had 18 batted balls over 100 miles an hour this season and more extra base hits than whiffs. Like that's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, he's definitely my favorite. And if you bring Jackson Holiday and Eric Brown in the system with Gunner, Westbrook, Ortiz, Michael Hernandez, Leandro Arias, Dale Hernandez. I mean, pick a starting pitcher in baseball that you want the Orioles to acquire, and Michael um, Ades can get that done with this group. I mean, this this is why we're, we're stocking this farm system with these guys. So, yeah, give me Eric Brown at 33.
0: You know, Nick, if my pick does not drop to 33rd, I'm going to agree with you. But I'm going to go play Tidwell here. I think the Orioles go after a college pitcher with a high ceiling. This pick, and I, I think this is the kind of draft where the Orioles can sift their philosophy a little bit. And Nathan Ruiz touched on this in the piece in the Baltimore Sun today, after talking to Michael Wyas about the possibility of the Orioles going with the pitcher beyond that first overall pick. But they're not going to go with a pitcher one-one. I think that's pretty clear at this point. But there's some possibilities here, and I like it well because to me he sort of presents the Orioles kind of profile with right-handed pitchers, high velocity needs to develop the secondaries a little bit. And in particular, I think if they can get him into the system and work on his chains up a little bit, they could take him from a guy that I think most mock drafts have, you know, towards the back of the first round and really make him into something. Now the question is, is he going to fall there? And that is a huge question, Mark. And I acknowledge the risk in putting him 33rd overall here, but... For right now, I think Tidwell is going to be the guy the Orioles go with if he is available here because they can bring him into the system and kind of put him on the road, you know, development plan. They put Kyle Braddus on. They seem to have put Carlos Tavera on, which is you've got this great fastball and now we'll work on everything else and we will make you a major league starting pitcher. They've done that with Bradis. I'm pretty confident do that Tavera, and I think Tidwell fits that mold as well
1: yeah absolutely i thought i thought that was a great pick i think uh i think i saw the recent mock also had him there so i think a lot of a lot of people are thinking maybe at 33 we could be uh a specific right potentially pitcher pitcher um for for me at 33 i'm actually like (laughs) i'm a bit torn because i i really do like seeing prep arms as well um owen murphy was on my list at one point um and even like any other prep arm that could potentially fall, uh, potentially even I think Jackson Ferris was even mentioned by Eric. Um, I'm going to go with a guy I've been following all year, um, Caden Wallace, uh, 33. He's right now playing in the College World Series with Arkansas. He tied Heston Kerstad's freshman home run record. Um, This is a guy who profiles both at third base and also right field. There's the versatility aspect. He's got a 60, 65 grade arm. Um, So he's played both third base and also right field very well. But the thing that stood out the most, I think there's some hit tool development that needs to be made, but he doesn't swing and miss too much. Amazing exit velocity numbers. I think I saw a post just last uh, uh, a a day or two ago about uh, Caden Wallace had one of the hardest hit balls so far in the college world series just a single at 111 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So I'm, if, if I'm thinking the Orioles, for me, Caden Wallace reminds me a lot of this Jordan Westbrook type of pick where they saw these high exit velocity numbers, the versatility of both third base playing well, but also in right field because you've got a 60-grade arm. I don't know if Westberg has a 60-grade arm, but I think those are tools that would be really appealing. It falls under the college bet, Um Performance, So I think he's in the 30, 33 range. That's that's kind of where I would lean towards because um, if we do go high school, I feel like Orioles may just jump back into the college realm again for that 33rd pick. But,
2: yeah. So
3: what's our consensus?
2: I don't even know if we're going to have a consensus with the <laughs> yeah. Orioles. Too. I know. It's <laughs> hard.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, as we move along, maybe we'll form a consensus, and I'll go to the 42nd overall pick. And here's something you're going to notice, the 42nd and 67th overall pick, which is that you're going to see the same player twice, but not in the same spot. And I'll start off here with Judd Fabian, who I have going the Orioles, 42nd overall. They were reportedly in on Fabian last year. I think Jib Callis was the first to have it, that they viewed him as a possible first pick. Um, after they got Colton Couser under a slot, that he might be the guy. The Red Sox ended up getting the Fabian. Before him and with Fabian, there's a player with a lot to like, you know, left-handed bat that hits for power, right-handed bat, sorry, that hits for power, certain to stick in center field, according to most reports, but he's also had a questionable hit tool throughout his college career. One of the things we saw this year was the strikeout rate drop while the walk rate increased. And I think with the Orioles taking that, seeing that they're going to look at that and feel like their player development system can work. With something like that, it's not going to be easy. But if you look at players like Kyle Stowers, you can see examples where the Orioles can take good power, good defense, uh, questionable hit tool, high strikeout rate, and work with them a little bit. And if frankly, if they liked Fabian last year, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't like him this year. So that's why I have them taking him 42nd overall.
3: Yeah, that was a thing for me. And spoiler alert, I have them not taking him 42nd overall, but taking him with the next pick at 67 overall. Thank you, Marlins. Uh, can, assuming he falls that far. But I think if they pretty much had a deal set up with him last year before the Red Sox took him, I don't see why they couldn't have a deal with him. And at that point, it's just a matter of where they want to take him, I guess, if they agree and, and everyone else complies. Uh, so, yeah, to me, it's like if they liked him last year enough to want to take him at that pick, that they were rumored to be taking him at and his season this year didn't nothing to, you know, deter them away from him. So yeah, I have him going to the Orioles at some point in this draft as well.
2: My second round pick for the Orioles, I'm going pitching, I'm going high school ranks and I'm assuming that his signing bonus is so high that other teams just pass on him. And I am would say the Orioles with the money that they save, go ahead and take lefty Jackson Ferris at the high school ranks. Just give him the money say forget about Ole Miss, uh, come to Baltimore. Uh, like I just see a lot of like DL Hall in this kid, just like a lefty 90 miles an hour as a freshman up to what, like 96, 97 from the left side right now. Uh, I think a lot of earlier reports, I know Eric Longenhagen had that he has him as a future like relief role, uh, with that relief role risk similar to DL Hall, uh, because of the control issues. Um, I didn't see anything more recent about the control, to be totally honest here, but I know that's probably a really old report, but like you get a left, you can throw 96, 97 sitting there. If you can clean up that control, I think Logan Hagen also noted kids with his makeup, they can fix that. Teams can fix that control. We've seen deal hall. It improved with deal hall a bit. Um, and I just think like, if he's there and you want to spend the money and you like, just take a second and think about the future, a future rotation of, D.L. Hall, Jackson Ferris, and Grayson Rodriguez. I mean, who's touching that? Um, I, I, if he's there, give him whatever dollar amount he wants.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. If if he's there at that point, like, I really like the left-handed prep pitchers this year. I think even on uh, MLB Pipeline, they just they literally bunched up Brandon Berria, Jackson Ferris, and Robbie Snelling all together, and I wouldn't mind either of them <laughs> just to have as a prep arm. For this pick, I'm I'm in alignment with Zach on Judd Fabian. I know I wrote down like a guys I like and, I, and if they were to fall, I like Judd Fabian just for the sake of uh very much improved walk rate and less strikeout rate this year. I think he did help his value. I think the same path of like we've seen pitchers, we've seen hitters that struck out a lot, and I right Kyle Stowers hit 27 home runs last year, where he's already at 12 home runs this year. Um, and I think you'll get that same consistent production from Judd Fabian. And then we can start working on maybe more of the strikeouts, but the same thing, right? We've already seen in the Orioles system about the improvement of being able to find those like those pitches that you want to do damage on. I thought that Colton Kowser article uh, from John Mioli about how He was working on one thing about getting enough sleep, but also he's a great contact hitter, but he's trying to find the pitches to do more damage to. And I think Fabian's a little bit in the other way, right? Where it's like there's tremendous power, but now I got to work on being a little bit more selective. And from 2021 to 2022, I think he improved his selectivity there. So if he was there at 42, a guy who was a top five potential pick last year, um, that is, that would be really, really hard to pass up especially for the Orioles who just love exit velocity, too. So yeah, I, I'm with you Zach on, on Fabian.
3: Before we get to my uh, pick at 42, I wanted to see what you guys thought about this question from Damon. If Kumar Rocker drops to the second round, do you think the Orioles take him? It's, it's all about the medicals. I mean, and that's every conversation. I feel like that
2: anyone has about Kumar Rocker. That's the answer. But like, if the Orioles like what they see and they don't see any issues there with the, what was it? The shoulder arm. Do we even know like what part of the arm it was Uh shoulder, elbow, whatever it was. Um, if they don't see any issues and he's there. Yeah. I'm taking Kamar rocker. I think you, and it was, um uh, and it was a uh, Steven, our old draft guru. Uh, hope you're doing well with the Braves maybe not too well uh, with the, he was the reason person. for their long winning streak. Right? <laughs> yeah.
3: um,
2: it's, it was Steven who was actually like convinced me that like, yeah, Kumar rocker. I think there's a lot of prospect fatigue with Kumar rocker last year. It's like, is he really that good? What's going on with him? And Steven convinced me that the guy is really, really good. It uh, won't be in the minor leagues for very long. So if he's there medical checkout, I'm taking him.
1: Yeah. Same thing. I I, w- I would also take him. Like I, I, it's too hard of a value to pass up on at that point, and I think, um, right? I, I guess he's still showing that he can hit those upper nineties velocities, but we also see velocity sometimes fluctuate with starters and even pitchers in general. I Dylan Tate, mechanically wise, right? We've seen at the beginning of the season we were ninety to ninety-two, but then against Boston he's ninety-seven to ninety-nine. So it really fluctuates, and I think. Mechanics is something we could definitely work on. I know Chris Holt could definitely emphasize that, and that would be a nice supplement to like a fast moving arms like if you get a kumar rocker in your system, you could maybe start him at high a Aberdeen, and then from there you're maybe talking at the end of twenty twenty three I was like okay let's let's give him a call up if we're if we're making a playoff push at that point
0: yeah, yeah I agree. I actually thought about rocker for the thirty third pick. But it seems like most mock drafts now have him going within the top 20 and the top 25 based off his performance this season in the Ball is the Tri-City Valley Cats. Um, but it's all going to come back to the medicals, like Nick said. If teams don't like what they see, then they're going to pass on him. So he could fall theoretically, into the Orioles or some other team that picks before them feel comfortable with that, they're going to take him because the upside is undeniably high here. And I was not that high on Rocker coming into last year's draft because of some concerns based off his performance at Vanderbilt over the spring, where it seemed like the velocity was a little bit questionable. But yeah, if you've got the opportunity to pick him up with your second or third pick through the Orioles, or even the fourth, but I don't think he's going to fall that far, you pick him up. I think you pick him up and you see what you can do with him because this player development system has shown that it knows how to make pitcher stuff a little bit better. And for a guy like Rocker that comes in with pretty refined stuff, it would be interesting to see how he does.
3: Yeah. I'm in complete agreement with all you guys, but the guy I really want to see somehow slip is Dylan Lesko. I I doubt, highly doubt it would happen, but you never know if people are scared away by the injury and they have other things in mind. I'll take him as well, but I would take Rocker too. Uh, The guy I'm taking – with my 42nd overall pick for the Baltimore Orioles is a high school right hander as well. Walter Ford, who is another one of these cam Collier guys who reclassified. So he doesn't turn 18 until December. And we know, you know, the the Cleveland organization, the guardians, um, they had always keyed in on getting these younger guys in the system as early as possible, more upside there, get them in your program. And I feel like, that's something Elias might be into as well. And also he's got a plus fastball and plus slider with above average command. According to baseball America, they have his change up as a 40 right now, but has potential to develop. And what do we know about the Orioles? They love teaching changeups, apparently, and they're really good at it. So get him in here and do that. This kid will be an ace by the time he's 21.
0: So with that, we'll move on now to the 67th pick. And I feel like, Next pick here is a pitcher that's going to need a lot of work, but an undeniable amount of talent. So I'll start with that.
2: Yeah, Bob's last point there is a perfect segue into uh, why I kind of like this. Uh, When I was looking at this pick, like, based on some of the mucks I'm looking at, some of the rankings, like, if Caden Wallace is available, I'm taking him, like Vivica mentioned, 111 miles an hour is just absurd for a single – I like that pick if he's there. Cade Dowdy is another name that I wanted to do more. In. Like I remember watching him at LSU a lot, but I don't know where he's projected to really go here. Uh, but if he's available, I'm going with another SEC guy, a pitcher. I'm going with Mississippi State, righty, Landon Sims. I've seen a lot of mocks that have him available in this range. So I think if he's there, I'm all for it. I know he had Tommy John surgery last year. They tried to move him to the starting rotation, but Tommy John ended that trial run. So I think you, like Zach mentioned, there is some work to do in, in the rehab and getting him back to that level of working as a starter. But the Orioles have done a phenomenal job of bringing these guys back. I mean, look at what uh, Carter Ballmer's doing this year already. Uh, so I think you can bring Sims in, and even if he doesn't debut until what midseason next year, uh, then You know, you work him as a starter. If it doesn't work, you've got a 70-grade fastball and 70-grade slider to fall back on. Put him in Bowie's bullpen. uh, And he's in Major League Baseball in a couple of weeks, probably, in, what, 2024. But, um, yeah, I just think the issue was the changeup, I believe, based on Baseball America's report. And I put that note in here that, well, if the Orioles like teaching changeups, and they're so confident in that, and you can give Landon Sims a changeup to go with those two high-grade pitchers, pitches that he already has, then you've got a phenomenal arm here at pick, what, 67. So, yeah, let's go with Landon Sims.
1: No, absolutely. I love that pick uh, oh, for, for 67. I think that was also one of, uh, I think, Mason McRae's like, mock drafts where he was also having Landon Sims there. I mean, he's a great resource and reference for all these. Um, for 67, there was a. <laughs> I went through this thought process of how funny it would be if we traded the right uh, Tanner Scott and Cole Seltzer And I don't know if he'd be available. I don't know what you guys think about Ben Joyce. I don't understand. I don't know where he could potentially go. But 102, 103 miles per hour is like, this is kind of like that Garrett Crochet pick by the White Sox, where it's like, just insert him into your bullpen and (laughs) let it rip. So (laughs) Ben Joyce is definitely one. If he was available, I'd go with with a 67. But if I were to connect it back to that, uh, the same way Nick, you were on talking about the changeup, one of the best changeups in the draft is one of Brooks Lee's teammates. I don't know if he'll last then, but there's a guy named Drew Thorpe who has one of the best changeups. His fastball is around 50 55 grade. It's not overpowering by any means, but really, really good changeup. He's top 10, top five NCAA right now, also in strikeouts. So. Uh, really high K per nine inning. He got more noticed when scouts were there for Brooks Lee. So I, I think this could be a pitcher that could also start at high A Aberdeen and make his way up. Um, he's already got a really, really nice changeup to go with, and I think we can maybe maximize uh, his profile. So if he's available at 67, um, I don't know if we'd go both Jason, Justin Campbell and then Drew Thorpe, but Drew Thorpe's another arm I'm, I'm thinking about uh, at 67. Yeah. nice.
2: Now, yeah. I'm thinking of like you bring in Joyce in the eighth oh, inning man. and then you slow it down in the ninth with Felix Batista. Uh,
3: so you go from like what, 105 to 101 and throw the hitters yeah. off completely. Yeah. End. Dang, you stole my jerk. I was going to say make Felix Batista <laughs> look like a soft toss in right <laughs> no, now. We're one for one with stolen jerks. Yeah. It's so I'll hard take-
1: to gauge the market for Ben Joyce. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know where he'll be picked? I. No That's clue. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Vivica, all the points you said about Drew Thorpe, I completely agree with, which is why I have the Orioles taking him here. Drew Thorpe to me feels like the kind of player that the Orioles would trade for. And we'd be like, oh, of course they traded for someone like Drew Thorpe. He has all these secondaries. He can really well. He's got a good changeup. He gets fastball. It's not that hard, but it has good movement. And again, he locates it that well. If they can add a mile per hour or two to the fastball. They've got a real prospect on their hands. So if Drew Thorpe came over from the Angels next year, none of us would be surprised. But if the Orioles have the possibility here to pick him up at 67th overall, I think they're going to do it. And I'm sure the fact that, you know, Brooks Lee, his teammate, has been in that speculation for 1-1 doesn't hurt him at all here. I think that if you want to look at a pitcher who has sort of the opposite profile of a couple of guys we've talked about tonight, including Tidwell and Sims, where... All the secondaries are there. The fastball, maybe this isn't exactly where everybody wants it to be. This is it, and he's got good movement on the fastball. He can just get the mile per hour or two up a little bit. I think his stock will soar, and I think the Orioles, if they could land him here, this would be a great value, and this seems to be the kind of pitcher they like to trade for, which leads me to believe this is the kind of pitcher they would like to draft to if he's available. So that's why I have him going for that 67th pick
3: yeah my 67th pick was already noted uh judd fabian so i guess i'll move down to the the final pick we're discussing tonight and that is going to be my version of jordan westberg in this draft tanner Schobel, uh shortstop for virginia tech he is right around average at everything a little below average in power but he's a, a shortstop at a decent division college school that can play all around the infield at a pretty decent level with like average grades everywhere so that just screams orioles to me and i think that would be just be another solid middle infielder to add to the system
2: i like it i went um i figured i would throw in one of these picks that guys that i kind of like everything i read about him i like the numbers a lot and maybe save some money here with this pick um although since we're going like in my mock, at least Jackson Ferris, Eric Brown, Jackson holiday here. So I'm going to save some money with uh, a Oregon shortstop. Let me find it here. Here we go. Uh, Oregon shortstop, uh, Josh Kasevich. Uh, I've seen a lot of mocks and rankings that have him in this range. So like no power, but uh, fantastic plate discipline, plate, plate discipline uh, and uh summer would wouldn't bet summer league experience. So, I mean, at Oregon, 498 career games at the college level, Struck out just 48 times and this past year. He walked 24 times struck out just 16 times in 61 games. Uh, and so I think in the North woods league, which uses a wooden bat, you know, it's not Cape Cod league, but it's still a really good league. Um, he led the league with a three seventy-four batting average last year, more walks and strikeouts. So I figure sure save a bunch of money here with this Oregon shortstop and a guy who you know, kind of figure like a, a more
3: advanced, maybe Colin Burns type player, maybe. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was considering Kasovich as well in that in that spot too. So we're on, we're on the same idea there.
0: Yeah, I went with a uh, kind of pro player that I think the Orioles like a little bit based on the last year's drafts, and that's Michigan outfielder Clark Elliott, who seems to be solid across the board with his tools. MLB Pipeline has him right now in a 55-hit tool, 45-power, 60-run, 55 arm, 55-field. 55 a uh, left-handed bat who seems to play a good outfield, good plate approach overall. There's been some Michael Brantley comps thrown around from reports I read on him today. That might be his ceiling, and that would be a very high ceiling because Brantley is a good player. But I think if you want to look at the kind of players the Orioles like in this area, here's an outfielder who will give you good defense, good plate approach, has some power protection, hits from the left side. And what I saw when I looked at Elliott was – Here's a slightly different version of Dante Williams, the players that the Orioles took last year that I'm pretty high on. And, you know, another left college bat, outfielder, certain stick in the outfield, offers something from the left side of the plate. So I went with Elliot here. A lot of reports right now seem to be all over the place on him. I know Keith Law has him, I think, 68th overall in his top 100. D1 Baseball has him, I believe, at 50th. So this is a guy that I expect to see kind of a wide range of outcomes on between now and the draft, but someone to keep an eye on. And I think if the Orioles could get him at 81, he would be a good player to work with and someone that fits their model a little bit.
1: Absolutely. I love that pick, actually. Um, this the kind of it, You said the 55 hit part. It kind of reminds me of those, right, the – Similar to right, the the good hit tools that we got with Connor Norby, Colton Cowser, even Dante Williams, good plate discipline. Can you tap into more power in that respect? And I like that. I was also thinking outfielder because I don't think it would be – well, it needs to be – for it to be an Orioles draft, we need to get another outfielder, <laughs> especially in our system. So I think – I went with a similar pick. Um, we drafted him three years ago, and I think it was going to be a plan – if we didn't sign Gunnar Henderson or uh, any of the other potential overslot picks. Um, I went with uh, Colby Thomas and he's a outfielder from uh, Mercer where we drafted, I think in the 37th round in 2019, but we tried to get him out of, um, we we tried to get him out of high school. weren't able to sign him for me. The thing that sticks out the most is that he improved his uh, walk to strike strikeout ratio about 34 to 32, where it used to be around, uh, 50 or 60 strikeouts last year to about 20 or 30 walks hit 325. I know it's not a power conference, but that's something that the Orioles don't have a problem with. If they do have data on, he was at the Cape Cod last year as well. Um, 17 home runs. And I think I'm trying to remember. I think it was someone from prospects live where I saw a few posts about his stock is like rising Colby Thomas because of those high exit velocities. So see, on MLB Pipeline, 45 was the hit tool they gave, but for power, fielding, arm, everything was like 55 and up. So, same thought process. When I saw those grades, again, that was something what we saw with Stowers, where it was like, they gave them the 45 hit, but let's see what you can do with optimizing the power and everything. So, the chances of the Orioles selecting the same pick, like I, I don't think that, that happens generally where the team selects them twice, but uh, he's rated 94 on pipeline, but I think at 81, if he's potentially still there. Yeah, Colby Thomas. Um,
0: so some good thoughts, and Bob, I know you've been trying to keep track of the consensus. Did we reach one in those last four picks?
3: Judd Fabian will be picked. <laughs> um, we'll take a high school pitcher over slot. We will take an outfielder with good power and not – The best hit tool and we'll take a completely average, slightly below average power middle infielder. So there you go. Sounds about right.
2: I think with the pitching and we've probably made this comment a lot on the show before, too, when talking about the draft that like when you look at this draft class and all these top guys getting hurt uh, and so many questions about the college pitching staff or just the pitching class in general with this draft. And the Orioles are probably going to wait. That's what they've done. Griffin McClarty, Carlos Tavera, they waited to take that first pitcher. And with this draft class, they're certainly going to wait. But based on what like Brad Selig has said on our show and some recent comments in Nathan Ruiz's articles uh, and Andy Costco's articles, I just get the sense that there could be one of these prep high school arms being taken. And uh, it also seems like there are a lot of really good – some of these pitchers you guys mentioned, seems like there are a lot of really underrated – West Coast arms, and we don't have Steven on because I know he liked to highlight those West Coast arms a lot in pre-draft shows, but there seems to be a lot of those guys available too that the Orioles could certainly grab, and the Orioles are not against drafting pitchers. Like they said, there's just a lot of risk with these guys, so they want to make sure they draft the guy with the least amount of risk and make sure it all fits, but I think this could be the year, the earliest they go with a pitcher.
0: We're certainly looking forward to the MLB draft next month out in Los Angeles, and we'll have more coverage here for you and on the Verge with this mock draft, thank you to, to Vivek for his contributions in making this happen. Um, we'll probably be the only mock draft we have, but then again, who knows? A lot of things can change uh, over the next month or so. We'll move on, though, to the one thing that has been certain throughout the season, which is that the Aberdeen Ironbirds are a really good baseball team. They clinched a the playoff spot over the uh, weekend, winning the first half in the South Atlantic League. This will mark the Ironbirds' first full-season playoff appearance and their first playoff appearance since 2013 when they were members of the short-season New York Penn League. We've seen a couple of things this month. We saw the combined no-hitter over the weekend. Kobe Mayo continues to tear apart. Blue Cross pitching hits his 12th home run on Sunday. Colton Cowder is getting hot at the plate. John Rose comes off the I.L. and picks up right where he left off. Uh, continues to be one of the best hitters on that team. Connor Norby has come off the IL and has been really good as well. Frankly, I don't know there's enough good I can say about the Ironbirds at this point, and we've covered it a lot on this show, but it's always sort of been, and this guy has been really hot lately. This guy has done this well. But looking at this whole team over the first couple of months of the season, they have been extremely impressive. And I'll start with Nick here because – Back when we did our predictions. So, Nick, I think you were the one to kind of pinpoint the Ironbirds pitching staff as the, the one spot of the world's organization. We could see some breakout candidates. That certainly has been the case this year.
2: Try to tell y'all. Um, <laughs> it's no, you look at what they've done, like as a team, right? It's they got the fourth best team ERA in the South, South Atlantic League. There's 12 teams in this league, fourth lowest number of walks, number one in strikeouts, lowest whip. Lowest average against. And on the hitting side of things, they've drawn the most third most walks, fourth fewest strikeouts, third highest on base percentage, right? That's phenomenal. Um, and you look at the pitching, like Gene Pinto was the elite arm on this staff, and he was one who struggled the most, but he's turning a corner. These last couple outings, he's got 12 strikeouts, two walks, just two earned runs over his last three outings. Ignacio Feliz, only Grayson Rodriguez has more strikeouts than Ignacio Feliz. Um, just phenomenal. I'm waiting for him to just crumble and he won't. And I love it. Um, Carlos Tavera. I know the last outing was brutal, two innings, bunch of runs, bunch of hits, but he's just coming off a game that he struck out 10 guys. Um, Connor Gillespie is striking out guys and not walking guys. That's been his big issue. His last three starts. I think only has like two walks. Uh, and then Peter van Loon was part of that. No hitter, uh, which was awesome to see the iron birds achieve. He's 7-0 and on the year. I think I saw someone, it might have been the, the Patreon group that was like, he's this year's Drew Rahm, or someone commented on Twitter. It's like, he's this year's Drew Rahm, because didn't Drew Rahm go like 12-0 and or something last year? I think he was undefeated. Um, and now you have Justin Armbruster getting promoted to Bowie, and I thought Armbruster was the, f- the guy who would stick in Aberdeen the longest of this group, but he's the first one to get promoted. He's going to make his first start in Bowie sometime this week. 63 strikeouts, 18 walks in 53 innings. Um, And on the hitting side of things, what I've been impressed with the most is like, yes, Kobe Mayo's counting stats, other than home runs may not be great, but like we've heard the numbers behind the scenes, the important numbers that the Orioles are looking at are phenomenal. Like they're really good. And he's hitting the ball tremendously hard because it's Kobe Mayo. I don't know if we want to fully dive into Colton Kowser later on. I have a lot of thoughts about Colton Kowser, but um, Colton Kowser is doing Colton Kowser things right now. And Daryl Hernandez made a smooth transition to high A. Isaac Bellany needed a few games, but he was hot over the weekend, sailing into high A. Like This team's got 43 wins and a 10.5 game lead in their division. And with a first-year minor league manager and Roberto Mercado, uh, a new guy enforced Herman as the pitching coach. And guys like Isaiah, Isaiah Page, Ryan Gall, I'm trying to think of the staff off the top of my head, uh, Zach Cole, the hitting coach, these are really young guys. Um, and they're all... Putting together a phenomenal product on the field here in Aberdeen, I don't think we can say enough good things about what's happening in Aberdeen. And it's a shame that Aberdeen doesn't care to tell anybody what's going on.
3: Yeah, I think you ran that down pretty darn well. But we have to discuss the Colton Cowser problem. He's too damn good. <laughs> no, um, uh, love seeing Cowser really just break out and make anyone who was questioning his start to the season be like, uh, never mind. Uh, walking a lot, as you would expect, starting to hit for a little bit of power, especially on the road when he gets out of that huge Aberdeen stadium that suppresses home runs about 20 to 30 percent. And the strikeouts continue to fall down to where we expect them to be. So not worried about him. I would fully expect him to be in Billy by the time the minor league all-star break rolls around in a few weeks. So yeah, and the pitching is, I mean, we could have another hour-long episode just talking about the Aberdeen pitching by itself. It's been tremendous. And I can't wait till they're all up in Bowie, and then we get to see the guys like Drew Rahm, Zach Peek, Ryan Watson push up to AAA. It's the best part of uh, the, the minor league season for me is when around midseason you start to see these ball promotions and just see how they can translate the success that these players have had in the first half into the next level in the second half.
0: Nick, I know you have a lot of thoughts about Colton Cowder, so just express
2: that I- one there now. I I just go pull back our tape, right? There was no concern here. We had no concern. We did say that around this time frame, if he's still striking out, you know, 40% of the time, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk this through, right? But there's nothing to talk through with Colton Kowser. Like, I know some people need hot takes for their hot take blog sites, but, like, there's nothing to discuss here with Colton Kowser in terms of his struggles. Um, You look at some of the numbers right now in June. He's got a 9-11 OPS. That's elite. A 145 WRC+ nine extra base hits, eight walks to 11 strikeouts. And you look compare April and May to June, April and May, he had a 764 OPS. So about 150 point jump there. He had a 31, 32% strikeout rate. He's cut that in almost in half. Um, and so, yeah, like, I just don't know, like, what more do you want from Colton Cowser? Like, please tell me what wonders you want this kid. This he's not a kid. He's a, I'm getting, I'm getting older. And he does play with Legos. So. He, he does. Yeah, that's true. You look at this 20 something year old guy who's in his first full season of pro ball. Like, what more do you want him to do? He's progressing. This is part of the player development process. Uh, and yeah, the Colton Kowser problem takes, where just, that's one of the few things. Like, you can nitpick guys. I get it. There are some guys who are struggling, there are some big names who are struggling, and we can talk about them over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but
3: Colton Kowser is not a guy you need to be worrying about struggling at all. Yeah. And, you know, he's not coming from this big SEC power conference school. He's coming from Sam Houston State. And the John Mealy article pointed out perfectly. He's got to adjust to professional life. And I think the real problem is he set expectations so high at the yeah. end of last year where he just looked like he was playing Little League, as I like to say. And and so, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing his performance early on, but definitely nothing to ever worry about. And he's showing us why right now. So it is what it is. So before
0: we move on to the Ironbirds, Vivek, any thoughts?
3: Yeah, no, I think
1: I wanted to say, like, uh, I I don't know if you remember when we first got that pitching coach, Forrest Herman, from uh, Cincinnati Reds, there was a Rule 5 guy on there, um, I don't know why I'm forgetting the name, Eduardo Salazar, for example, that was on my list. And I think he was a bit far away, but I loved the Reds minor league pitching staff when he was there in high A. And, I was, I think, in general, the Reds. If, if, if you know, one positive comment I could give, I think they're really good with respect to pitching development. Um, so I'm very really happy we have them, and I think it's definitely helping with the Aberdeen Ironbirds. And this is kind of also testing the Orioles' model in a way. Like, you found value in the fifth round with Tavera, twelfth round with Armbruster, sixteenth round with Peter Van Loon, nineteenth round with Tommy Pham. Like. You found value in later in the draft, and you optimize those tools, and you're seeing that now. And I didn't think Arm Brewster would be the first arm promoted to Bowie, but no, I'm I'm happy for him. Um, and then even with the uh, just the Aberdeen Ironbirds in general, I think like even those there's, there's going to be promotions, obviously going to Bowie. I'm um, I'm curious to see if anyone from Del Marva or heck even depending on some of these draft picks do we i know we generally put them and do maybe we'll maybe we'll do the mass movement this year from del marva to aberdeen but i'd be curious if some of these could make that jump to aberdeen um but i know i think i think it's phenomenal I, they're they've exceeded my expectations i didn't think they'd be this good i think we all thought they could hit um but wow but both ends of the spectrum they're doing it
0: so we're actually going to go to the final segment here, but this actually does apply. to This question was from Adit. Where does Chris Valamont rank among the pitching prospects? Is he in the proudest tier or lower? Now Valamont, just to fill some listeners in, was a waiver claim from the Twins last month who had been in Double A for most of the last two years, Double A the top of the Twins, had a very, very high walk rate, showed some good stuff, but it was not enough for the Twins. The Orioles ended up picking him up on waivers last month he went to double a buoy dominated he has now been promoted to triple a and nick has him picked as a pitcher he wants to highlight in his final segment of the night so we'll transition into the final segment here but give us an opportunity to talk about valmont
2: yeah that started on sunday that's why i put him one here i mean 10 strikeouts in five innings and then he gets promoted this morning to norfolk uh deservedly so i think you look at some of the numbers and i have to pull them up here real quick i didn't Put that up there. But uh, when he was with the Twins, like the numbers were a absolute disaster. 6'5", 220 pounds Always what he's listed at, 25-year-old righty. And you look at the difference here. When he was with the Twins, he had an ERA of almost 10, uh, a whip of – and this is in 19 innings – a whip of 2.68, 329 average against, more walks and strikeouts, 23 walks to just 20 strikeouts. Uh, and since he joined Bowie – three starts, 13 innings, one run allowed, four walks, 18 strikeouts. So he's been phenomenal. Um, In terms of like where does he rank in pitching prospects, haven't thought about this just because we got another, what, two weeks, a week and a half till we do our next Patreon uh, prospect update here. But, I mean, kind of looking at the list, like, I don't know what you guys think. If you got the top two guys, you got Braddish, you got Bauman, and then Drew Rom area, like, do you rank him probably behind Drew Rom,
3: maybe, in terms of the pitching prospects? Do we go that high? Yeah, that's a debate that I'm right. going to be doing in my head for the next couple of weeks before our next update, just because, <laughs> I mean, his numbers were so bad with the Twins, and obviously, he's got great upside, and he's performed... Look, I saw a tweet from Chris Restator that said, the Orioles just simply... Put him right back to the arm slot that he had with the Marlins before he went to the Twins, and they messed him up. And it seems to be working right away. So, if that's the case, yeah, I want to see how he does in his first start or two at AAA. If he continues to pitch like he did on Sunday at a, then you're going to have to move him up a bit, and you can at least take Garrett Stallings' place, who has uh, hit a little bit of a bump in the road. <laughs> but Chris Valment, what a what a waiver claim! I'm I love it.
2: Dude, look, and if we can go, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on Valment. Actually, you will go ahead.
3: Yeah, at least on
1: Valamont, like this, I, you guys know I was doing preliminary Rule 5 draft before people could actually start adding players to the to the list, and Valamont was on there simply because if he's available with that level of K per 9 innings, I think he was at 14 Ks per 9 inning last year, you can't ignore that. And so I was even thinking like way before I even knew about the arm slot delivery change, I think I found out through Fangraphs where... The Twins tried to increase his velocity, and that messed with everything. Um, I'm so thankful because on a 40-man roster, you can't take many projects on. And the Orioles clearly saw, like, they, they know the Marlins know how to develop pitching. When they took this guy from the fifth round, and when that opportunity came, I mean, I think I mentioned, like, this was a legit prospect that we're actually getting. Even after his disaster season 2021, he was still a top-30 prospect in the Twins system. So I, I'd have him right there with Rom, if not a little bit above, just given that uh, moving to Triple A, those K per nine innings, uh, outside of Grayson, DL Hall, Ignacio Feliz right now, uh, even when a bad year, those K per nine innings are really hard to enjoy. Uh, to I think he's definitely like a, a top thirty prospect that we have, and especially after Louther was cleared from the system in terms of the forty men. Sedlock, Brinovich, unfortunately, Tommy John, Alex Wells, were missing him. Hey, if he performs well enough now at Norfolk, now when you think about if anyone needs a spot start, Spencer Watkins, sure an opportunity, maybe Valamont does enough to then warrant a start maybe in end of July or August. So yeah, a really good risk that we took.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I can see Valamont factoring in as a spot start at some point in the summer, maybe Pitching out the major leagues for an extended time. I'll turn it back over to Nick just to continue through this segment with this hitter. And it's a young hitter that has taken the low A Carolina League, which still sounds weird to say by storm.
2: Yeah. uh, Just hashtag legendary. I mean, 19 year old Frederick Ben Cosme. uh, First full weekend, Del Marva, nine hits, 429 average. Does not strike out. We saw the bunt on Sunday. I'm going to make my Frederick Ben Cosme shirts that say something like bunting is cool or like I need to workshop the same. Like uh, you can't make bunting cool again. Can't do that. That phrase is ruined forever. But um, congratulations to Frederick Ben Cosme on like a great week, a great debut in uh, Loe del Marva. Um, the, The bunting is phenomenal. The low velo exit velo singles are phenomenal the kid is just a fantastic athlete that makes everything look so much fun. And you get the sense that he has a lot of fun playing out there in the field with this Delmarva team. So a great debut and excited to see his development as the, the year progresses.
3: I guess I'll transition to my under-the-radar picks. And I'll start off with Ryland Bannon, who sneakily had a 381 batting average with two doubles and three home runs this week. Uh, was good for a 1,400 OPS Uh, 22% walk percentage to a 26% strikeout percentage. Um, I don't know. You know, the Orioles have a decision to make with the league roster rules going to 13-pitcher maximum, and they just demoted Michael Bauman today. And they're going to need someone else to come up, And I think Ryland Bannon getting hot potentially at the right time. Maybe he gets to be that guy, at least until Ramon Urias is back off the injured list, but I just thought I'd shout him out. And my pitcher is going to be Adam Stauffer who has been my guy for a little while now, and they finally give him a chance to start. And he goes five hitless innings with one walk and six strikeouts. No big deal. He's got a 2.51 ERA. He continually has low walk rates and strikes out at least 25% of batters. So I'm just happy for the guy, and I think he's under the radar, and he deserves to be mentioned as, as well, as long as these uh, other pitchers that are performing well this year in the Orioles system.
0: So with my picks this week, I'm going with a guy that has increasingly caught my attention down in the Dominican Summer League, and that is Aaron Estrada. Uh, when we talk about Dominican Summer League prospects, we're looking at players like Braylon Tavera, who's gotten also a phenomenal start, or Edwin Amparo. But with Estrada now through 33 plate appearance, of 407 batting average, an OPS of over 1,000. And in the stretch from June 11th through June 18th, he went 7 for 14 at the plate, with four RBIs, three walks against, two strikeouts. Now, this is a 17-year-old infielder listed at 5'8", 142 pounds. We have yet to actually see him in person. I don't know if we've gotten a clip of him through social media yet. To share, I don't think we have. But a guy that is right now is hitting the cover off the ball and someone I really want to watch the rest of the way because I don't care what league it is, but when you're 17 years old not turning 18 uh, from more than six months, hitting that well is impressive and then I'll go with my pitcher Xavier Moore he wrapped up the combined no hitter in Aberdeen over the weekend and he has been one of the Ironbirds most consistent relievers this season which says a lot given how good their bullpen has been but in the month of June five and a third innings pitch he's allowed just one earned run eight strikeouts against two walks so for more the left-hander or excuse me the right-hander to be pitching as well as he is out of the averaging bullpen, just wanted to shout him out. And Vivek, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, any under-the-radar players, hitter and pitcher you want to mention?
1: Yeah, I, I think starting off pitcher-wise, um, I, I know it's, <laughs> this is probably biased because I I did pick this person as, like, this is the breakout candidate, in my opinion. Um, Cameron Bishop, for example, I think I liked him getting promoted over in Norfolk, and then I don't think he's allowed a run yet, and he's been doing a little bit of – a few spot starts, but I think his role has now transitioned into a a bullpen type of piece. Uh, Really, really nice slider slider to pair up with a fastball. I don't know if he, because I know his velo fluctuates from time to time if it's 90-91 or if he's topping at 93-94, but I think he's making his way into being potentially, if the Orioles ever want to take another look, this could be someone as a nice lefty reliever arm um, the same way we've given Vespi a look, and I think it really does say a lot about the Orioles organization where it's like, look, it's not just about throwing it hard and velo. Like, you can still make your stuff work. That one uh, Paul Mancano and Nick Vespi interview was just about like, hey, I found out in the new org that my fastball actually naturally cuts, and you would have never figured that out. So Bishop, I think he's now in A potential opportunity. Ah, for hitter, I really wish I put a little bit more thought into this one, but um, I'm going to give a shout-out to Anthony Cervideo because I think he's the last one we're waiting on. I think he's on 30. Is is he like 30 or 31? <laughs> he may have just entered a list, but he's the last from that 2020 draft class, which unfortunately has battled injuries, but I was so impressed with that walk rate we saw last year, and I think recently you guys posted that he had like a three-walk game and is now going to go to Delmarva, so... I I think the grades in terms of him being a shortstop were excellent, and now he's got that walk also going for him. That year that he was drafted, he had the highest war technically of any position player, and we got him in the third round. So I'm just looking forward to seeing him again. I'm happy he completed his stint in the FCL and just pray that he stays healthy in this whole class Mm -hmm. because I'd love to see that. That's
3: another boost into the system in terms of shortstop. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Cameron Bishop's doing the keegan Aiken thing, but in the minor leagues, and we'll see if yeah. he can get a chance. Yeah, I think it would be cool.
0: Yeah, certainly hope so. And uh, we will be back next week with a new episode of Bob. Nick and I, in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter, at BSL and the Birds. Also, check out BaltimoreSportsandLife.com. Bob and Nick both have recent pieces up on the site. Uh, join the message board there. Hop in and discuss them with fellow readers of the site, as well as contributors. Thank you so much to Vivek Club for his contributions tonight to our mock draft and for helping to come up with this idea. Um, definitely made for a good episode. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sped, and you've been listening to On the Verge.